0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Thursday, November 17th, one week out from Turkey Day, and we certainly know what the Walt Disney Company is thankful for this year. Aaron, I don't know if you paid attention to last week's earnings call at Disney, which revealed that the mouse had failed to meet Wall Street's expectations in certain revenue sections, which then caused the Disney stock price to drop by 12%, which then forced Bob Chapek to reveal that the company would both be instituting a hiring freeze and a round of company-wide layoffs.
1: Now, before you go any further on that, was Wall Street aware of the rest of what was going on with all of Wall Street? Like the entirety of the world is down 40 to 50% on almost everything because stock market ain't been playing its game very well lately. All true,
0: all true. But we've talked about David Zaslav, the CEO of... Warner Brothers discovery and how he's been trying to figure out how to get rid of the $40 billion worth of debt that his company was saddled with when the AOL Time Warner situation. And we have neglected to talk about the $70 billion that Bob Chapek was saddled with when Bob Iger
1: decided to buy Fox. Oh, is that why blood sacrifice keeps showing up in his Google search history? He's looking for any answer, anything. (laughs) That man is. That man (laughs) is. What's a pig worth? Is it worth more than a goat? (laughs) It is a
0: scary time at Disney right now, which is why they oh, but don't worry, Black Panther is coming to save us. And so Wakanda Forever opens uh, this past weekend in North America, uh, sells $181 million worth of tickets. Biggest domestic opening for the month of November of all time. Only Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Badness, which again, Marvel Studios release, set out in theaters in May of this year. Had a better, stronger, bigger opening in North America in 2022. That that film did 187.4 million versus Wakanda Forever's 181 million. There's an old cliche to the effect of the most important word in the phrase "show business" is "business," and part of the problem is yes, any other studio on the planet would have been thrilled with 181 million dollars for this Black Panther sequel. But the problem is, again, this is the Disney company whose stock price went from, in the past year, has gone from $160 a share, or excuse me, the high of $172 a share to $86 a share. Right. So basically the company, the stock has lost half its value. It's only with the last week with the the 12% fall
1: off, it's now selling at $93 a share. Yeah, but it's not like if if the Black Panther sequel made even a trillion dollars, mm-hmm. it would not change the share price at all of Disney because it's not like it's a, a personal bank account, right? It's based on how much people believe in the Disney company and then wow. go buy a very expensive Disney piece of paper. And only then does does the the number change in that. So I get that they want to boost confidence in the investor but being off by six million dollars from being you know and being the biggest you know you just said it was the biggest movie release in that time frame of all time there we go for the month of november but but
0: again the problem is you're dealing with wall street financial analysts who first pivoted to okay so what did the original black panther make when it was released to theaters in
1: february of 2018 and before covid like they don't put any of the asterisks in these questions no, no, at all. No, no, They're no, just comparing. That's an orange. That's an orange, and it's and it's actually a banana. It's like well, it's a piece of fruit that you have to unwrap.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Again, you are not wrong. But but again, the problem is when you look at two hundred and two million dollars in North America in February of two thousand eighteen, and then you look at one hundred and eighty one million in November of two thousand twenty two. It's like you know, Wall Street is like. Well, that's less, you know, and then the the investor folks that I've been talking with, they're like, well, and then you have to, you know, you have to take into consideration the one the original Black Panther went into theaters in February of 2018, it was only in 4,020 theaters. Whereas Black Panther Wakanda Forever, it went out into 4,396 theaters. So it's like, there should have been more business with the 375 additional theaters. And
1: And did anyone at Wall Street ever call a theater owner and go, hey, is everything the exact same as it was four or five years ago before... Because like I went into obviously it was a day middle of the day noon screening in the mm-hmm. middle of a work week right so yep. I did not expect there to be people there like at all and there were maybe ten or twenty max you know it was, it was a pretty empty theater however there mm-hmm. were still five other theaters that had people in it because you had the 3d version right yep. and you had mm-hmm. uh i was in the imax theater and then you had a, oh. a, a digital version that was you know smaller screen but you had mm-hmm. the comfy recliners and some people mm-hmm. like that um so i mean you got you do have overall you know a, a nice group of people in there in the middle of a work day mm-hmm. uh, enjoying a black panther movie after covid and the thing I, what was, I think the reason why a lot of us were there is we could space out because it's reserved seating. So you can go one, two, three, four, five, six, and then mm-hmm. click the, the uh, button six seats away from someone mm-hmm. and not be elbow to elbow mm-hmm. and feel comfortable in your in your environment. So even right now, today, when I went to go uh, look for Black, Black Panther tickets uh, mm-hmm. yesterday, the, right. it, it still had the ability to rent a private theater for just you uh, for a Black Panther screening.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, okay. and that started after COVID when they were like, obviously we can't fill it up full of people. And then they had nobody show up. And then they made this deal like, oh, for like $200, you can have the theater all to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, bring your spouse and your kids and you can feel safe because you're a, a unit that has to live together. Mm-hmm. And to see that still exists today, the idea that I could have rented the theater by myself, I was tempted. I really was.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get that. I get that. And, and sometimes when you, you are talking with... Folks who work on Wall Street, financial analysts, the way they view the universe is fascinating. I mean, for example, just yesterday when I was pulling together info for today's show, they were talking about, oh, well, now the projections are interesting. A weekend two of Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, and it's like, okay, looks like right now, based on advanced ticket sales and the way they extrapolate the algorithms, that it's going to pull in seventy-one to seventy-two million dollars in North America. But again, this is how Wall Street works. It's like, now wait a minute, okay, let's pivot and look at how Black Panther did in February of two thousand eighteen. It's like, oh, weekend number two, that film did $111 million. So there's going to be a $40 million fall off between what the original Black Panther made in 2018 versus what the Wakanda Forever is going to make this weekend. And it's never mind that if you actually look at the box office projection and it's like, okay, yeah, the business for Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to fall off by 60% for weekend number two which by the way, is the standard now for a big blockbuster box office. You do an amazing opening weekend, then the business falls off by 60%. In fact, you know anything below that is trouble, but it's like, oh, it just fell off by 60%. That's, that's par for the course. But what Wall Street is doing now is like, okay, look at what happened with the original Black Panther. It was number one at the box office for five weekends in a row back in 2018 and the last by the way aaron the last film to do that was james cameron's avatar back in 2009 so you're going to take that freakish box office standard and i get it this is the sequel to that movie so you wanted to do the same business but it's like your banana apples and oranges a comparison there This was, you know, the original was released in February. This is being released in November, which which so many holiday films come out in the same window of time, including, Mm. by the way, uh, in just less than one month's time, James Cameron's sequel to Avatar, The the Way of Water. So it's like this was never going to line up the exact same way. But that never stopped Wall Street. From, uh, you know, and that's the thing. You you have a movie that made uh, $181 million in North America right now, and all people can talk about it. It's like, oh, that's not what we expected. It should have done better. And, oh, well, I guess the Disney stock price is going to stay. No, wait a minute. I
1: got to back that up. So the people at Disney who mm-hmm. are perfectly aware that the lead actor of the movie that the mm-hmm. movie is named after has yep. passed away, mm-hmm. and they went ahead and they made a movie. Featuring the name of the main character, Black Panther, what kind of forever? And then they put the word forever in the title, which is almost borderline insulting after the man passed away. Mm-hmm. And then they make a movie w- without the main character, and then they expect it to exceed. I mean, Chadwick Boseman was loved, practically mm-hmm. revered. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that they're going to have a hard time with this movie. Turns out I was wrong, fantastically wrong. Mm-hmm. But, um,. Yeah, I mean, they the have such high expectations even when all of the dominoes are set to fall against them. Yep. And that's and, and then to have it do so very well mm. by any standard and then hang your head in shame and go, well, that was a complete failure. We might as well just blow the whole thing up, guys. I mean, it's well, silliness.
0: I, well, it, it is, but at the same time, so much of this is kind of the narrative that's out there about Bob Chapek right now. In a weird sort of way, it's people looking for new clubs to hit Bob Chapek with. Mm -hmm. And this one being, oh, well, you know, Black Panther Wakanda Forever didn't do as well as the original Black Panther,
1: which, you know, and and that's where we are right now. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like that whiny teenage girl that goes, gold, daddy, gold? I wanted platinum. (laughs) And then she storms off crying because she didn't get platinum. She only got gold. Daddy didn't love her enough. <laughs> That's what it sounds like, right? Uh, again, <laughs> you're not
0: wrong. Okay, well, well, I'll tell you what, folks. Aaron and I will be sharing our thoughts about Black Panther, Wakanda forever on the second half of today's show. But first, of course, we, we have our news portion. And as always, the, the news here at Marvelous Dizzy is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So to sort of circle back to the current situation, that we had Disney announce that because of what's going on with the stock price, there were going to be hiring freezes, there were going to be cutbacks and layoffs, and every part of the company is expected to do its part. Which brings us now to the television animation side of things over at Marvel. Now, you have a wonderful show for Disney+, Plus. Marvel What If, which actually got nominated for a number of primetime Emmys last year. You also have the announced and highly anticipated X-Men 97, likewise Devil Dinosaur, which on the the retail side of Disney, they are losing their mind over Devil Dinosaur. They they, just anticipate, we are going to sell so much merch to little girls on this show. So you'd think this would be an arm of the company that would be safe. It's a proven moneymaker. They regularly deliver well-reviewed shows. They get strong ratings. This is why just yesterday folks in the industry were shocked to hear that staffers at Marvel Studios had been told, per the cost-cutting orders that had just come down from the corner office at Disney, they shouldn't necessarily count on there being, well, for starters, a season two of Spider-Man freshman year. And and the interesting thing is Spider-Man sophomore year had already officially been announced this past July at San Diego Comic-Con as part of Marvel's Hall H presentation. Same thing supposedly applies to season two of Marvel's Zombies and a season three of Marvel What If. Look, a lot of folks out in California, and, and not to mention the, the places overseas where a lot of this animation is sent to be done, we're counting on these gigs, you know, especially given what's just been going on, uh, you know, across the way at Cartoon Network and, and, and thereabouts. But Chapek, and again, a company-wide memo, which was released to after the markets closed back on Veterans Day, said, we're well, going to have to make Tough and uncomfortable decisions. As we work through this, the evaluation process, we will look at every avenue of operations and labor to find savings. And we do anticipate some staff reductions as part of this review.
1: Now, this is uh, if we were doing a video podcast right now. This is where I'd insert the clip of uh, the villain from Roger Rabbit holding the shoe over the... <laughs> we need to get rid of some cartoons, guys. Where's that Spider-Man kid? Here, into the vat. Okay, next.
0: Now now I have to say I've been working the phones largely because again Drew and I are going to be doing a new fine tuning later this week and obviously this is the animation side of the street and what I've been trying to find out is what exactly is going on is this the equivalent of what Say happened with the original season of Marvel. What if? Remember how they were going to do 10 episodes, and but then they had COVID related production delays, and it's like, okay, we can only do nine, right? So, are we talking about trimming one or two episodes off of you know a show, or is what people have been hearing about? Yeah, we may not even do season two of of Spider Man freshman
1: year. Was uh fresh or homecoming. Very mm. first of the movies. Yep. What year of school was he supposed to have been in at that point? Was because they did the trip to uh, DC, and then the next year uh, of school. So that's either senior and junior, or junior and senior years. Mm-hmm. And then freshman year would be the cartoon, and then sophomore year season two was was supposed to be the next cartoon. You can't I, have I, a third I, season after that. Well, I, that's I, when you again you, you're making
0: the assumption that this keys off of the Tom Holland thing. As I understand it, they, oh. they different animals. And now what's kind of interesting about this is that Bob Chapek has asked, you know, that everybody do this. And, and so Kevin Feige wants to be a good, soldier a good corporate citizen but there's a reason that Kevin Feige wants to be a good corporate citizen because at the same time he is supposedly prepping what will be the most expensive movie that Marvel Studios has ever produced in in, in its history and that will be Avengers Secret War and just so we're clear here We are surprisingly close to when um, uh, Avengers Secret War is supposed to arrive in theaters. That's May of 2026, which is three years and change. That's almost the same distance that uh, we are now from the film that Kevin Feige is is trying to compete with, which is Avengers Endgame. When anybody thinks about Avengers Endgame, there's that end battle at the compound in, in upstate New York. Where you have Thanos and his army face off against every Marvel character that's in the MCU up until oh. that time.
1: Well, it's super easy to solve that problem. I mean, if you, for the uh, Secret Wars, you just mm-hmm. do because we now have time travel. You have everybody who's new to the MCU in Phase Four mm-hmm. go jump in a time portal, and then when Cap is almost ready to be defeated and mm-hmm. he hears "On your left," we replay the scene except. Ten new heroes step out alongside of them. And uh, Thanos also gets some new baddies like Kang and, and whomever else we get along the way. And we just replay the whole scene now with 30 extra people. Is that how they're going to do it?
0: Well, (laughs) actually, Feige has an intriguing idea, supposedly. I mean, again, and and this is, I have to tell you, by the way, all of this information is coming back channel because- (laughs) He didn't email you directly. No, no, but what's so funny is that if you talk with people, at Marvel, and they, you bring up Secret War, they actually make the Animal House joke. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Everything associated with that project is under double secret probation. I mean, oh, it's just okay. sort of like security beyond security. Because again, it just there's a, a number of folks at Marvel who believe that, you know, look, it didn't hurt the box office at all of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home that a couple of months out, a, a very persistent drumbeat to the effect of, you know Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire mm. are going to be with Tom Holland in this film and you know and all of these villains from all sorts of iterations of the movie are coming back and it just never mind also that you know it, you know Benedict Cumberbatch is in there as Doctor Strange and so it's but the thinking was that boy wouldn't it have been cool if on opening weekend people went to theaters and oh, Toby Maguire Andrew Garfield oh my god you know that they went in totally cold and so supposedly that's what Feige is trying to do here. And and But he's supposedly reaching out. I mean, it's like, yes, we know about Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds.
1: Oh, so he's going to reach out to Nick Cage to come back as Ghost Rider? And wait a minute. That's going to be really, really awkward because uh, Jessica Alba and Chris mm-hmm. Evans are all going to be sitting around and uh, Michael Chiklis. Mm-hmm. They're going to be sitting there, and they're going to be hearing about all these people from all the Marvel Universe movies are coming back, and none of them get the invite. And they're like, I wonder why none of the Fantastic Four cast got an invite. And then the guys from the re- reboot of Fantastic Four, they're like, hey, did you, did you guys hear that uh, they brought Nick Cage back for Ghost Rider? Oh, well, surely we'll get an invite. And uh, crickets, 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 crickets. And they're like, why didn't we get an invite? We're... Fantastic Four and uh, Feige's like uh, I got a real Fantastic Four over here exit stage right and then they bring in the new cast but everybody else in the MCU they're going to bring back is is that the game plan because <laughs> that well, seems really insulting uh,
0: well, it's, I mean what's fascinating about the well first of all I don't know if you saw the story that broke earlier this week in regard to Fantastic Four in that and this is an interesting bend on where that project may go that Evidently, what Feige has decided to do is like, this is going to be a 1960s story. This is when this comic book started. We have done the original Captain Marvel was a story that that was told in the 80s. You know, we did our Captain America story. We started that pre-World War I, or World War II, so late 30s, early 40s. You know, and so it's like, we haven't done the 60s yet. And wouldn't it be interesting to have these characters in the 60s and then the very thing you were talking about, you know, the notion of we have time travel, we have the multiverse, you know, we can bring characters in from different time periods. So just this week, that bubbled up. But to double back to what you were saying about, and and, and quite seriously, that the notion is it's like what Feige wants to do is like, wouldn't it be cool if... You know, for example, if, say, Kelsey Grammer came back as the Beast from the 20th Century Fox version of the X-Men movies. And sort of to, you know, the idea is to continually blow people's minds by having Marvel characters that you know from across, from all of the movies that have been done to this point bring them in for Secret War.
1: It is r- the most brilliant thing in the world because as soon as you see Kelsey Grammer, you immediately go, oh, I have to go back and watch X, was it X3 that he was in? Or X2 or whatever? It was one of the first two or three it was, of the original. It was. So you gotta go back and buy that which probably hasn't had a spike in sales. <laughs> in, no, legitimately because I mean mm-hmm. that happens where you know, you'd work at the video store and the day that the movie comes out, yep. wiped off the shelves. Mm-hmm. Can't can't hang on to it for weeks at a time. And mm. then finally one day you get a new supply, you put them on the shelves and not a damn one sells for like the mm. next 30 months. and now you've got 500 copies of X2 sitting mm. on your shelf because the the peak is over. Mm. and and nobody you know, everyone's got a copy. They don't need a copy. They're not gifting it. it's there's other movies that have come out and they just don't care about that moment anymore. So Mm -hmm. if you bring in Kelsey Grammer, I guarantee you that X2, if that was the movie that he showed up in, will sell like Mm -hmm. 5 million copies the next day. And all of a sudden, your revenue stream just gets a little shot in the arm because you paid Kelsey Grammer $10,000 for a a 20-second cameo.
0: It's so interesting you bring up like physical DVD Blu-ray sales because just based on the past weekend of what... Black Panther Wakanda Forever did. You know, there were immediate conversations. Okay, so when is this film going to show up on Disney Plus? With the notion of, okay, you know, for example, last year, you know, Encanto opens up Thanksgiving weekend and was available for viewing on Christmas Day on the subscription streaming service. And what Disney already is sort of putting out there, it's like, don't expect that. Don't, do not expect that with the Black Panther sequel. That it, it will show up on Disney Plus at some point in 2023, quite likely just before... Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania opens in uh, early February. Mm. But but again, part of the agenda here is like, don't hold off on seeing Black Panther Wakanda forever because it's going to show up on Disney Plus in four weeks. That's not going to happen. You know, you you, you want to see this movie, go to the theater. Anyway, to, to double back to Secret Wars for a moment, remember, we Frank Waldron who wrote season one of Loki and then went on to write Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. He is the gentleman who is writing the script for Secret War. And, and the, the order that came down from Kevin is like, look, I need this thing to be loose enough so that if somebody agrees to come do a cameo, that we can insert that character. Right. So drag know. and
1: drop. It's basically Kevin's asking, can I drag and drop Kelsey Grammar into the scene right here? And then you hear the little mouse click and there's a blue Kelsey going, uh, I hypothesize that if we uh, do this, <laughs> we could... Probably gain some extra XP on this mission.
0: Uh, Well, again, I I don't think you're wrong in that case. I just picture, you know, poor Mr. Waldron in a room, you know, surrounded by whiteboards and
1: a rainbow, you know. Of strings leading off of. And then if we happen to get, he can come in here and say possibly this. But if he doesn't, we go off on this branch Mm -hmm. and uh, the storyline goes this way instead. Right. Okay,
0: just to make a, con- a situation that's already complicated and further complicated, remember, we also have Imagineering working on the battle with King Thanos super deluxe e-ticket, which is supposed to, and again, remember, the idea is that Secret War is supposed to end the multiverse saga. So Imagineering, in much the same way that When they were shooting Guardians of the Galaxy 3, uh, Mm. or or for that matter, during Guardians of the Galaxy 2, they shot the footage for Mission Breakout. During production of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, they shot the footage for Cosmic Rewind. And Imagineering is looking at, you're going to have all these people come through the door to do Secret Wars. And we are raising our hand now that when they come through and are doing these cameos, we would like to also build in time to grab some shots of these people as well. And, and evidently Feige is like, I am trying to not have a Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield situation. Right. You know, to where everyone and, knows
1: beforehand. And that's it exactly how do you keep this secret? Meanwhile, like in Imagineering, cause you know, they, they want to create like when, uh, Moon Knight comes out, well, they want to have a. a- character of moon Knight walking around in the parks the next day right mm-hmm. so they've got imagineers going all right uh, ghost riders in everybody and you're like well how do we i mean i get the skull but how do we set it on fire and have it walk around the park i don't know that's gonna be a challenge and then all of a sudden they're like oh wait wait, kelsey Grammer's coming in with the blue costume and you're like oh man the florida heat how do we ventilate a person wearing fur and they're like oh by the way animated spider-man we need one of them walking around and they're like you hear the brakes screech <laughs> excuse me Animated Spider-Man. How do we do animated Spider-Man walking around the park? They're like, I don't know, guys. I just got the call. I don't there know you how go. you do it. but There we go.
0: And, and speaking of Spider-Man, just earlier this month, the folks over at Applause uh, put out a brand new book called With Great Power, How Spider-Man Conquered Hollywood During the Golden Age of Comic Book Blockbusters. By the way, this is written by Sean O'Connell, who is the managing editor over at CinemaBlend, uh, that, that entertainment news website. This literally showed up in the mail, folks. So um, this is kind of my treat for the, the coming weekend to dig into this 300-page hardcover. But I cracked this open this morning out ahead of today's show to find a sample story. This is a story that starts in September of 2019, which is 39 days after Sony uh, severed ties with Disney. Remember how, you know, suddenly on the heels of Endgame being a huge success, suddenly Sony and Disney weren't going to be working together anymore. And that meant no more Spider Man and the MCU and all that. And everybody was upset. And so during this time, Tom Holland asks for Bob Iger's uh email address cuz he figures well I'm you know I'm going to stop working for for Disney and these people have changed my life so I wanted to say thank you so Holland <laughs> sends this note to Bob Iger and a couple of weeks later he and his family are out at a pub and Tom is like three drinks in at this point and the phone rings and he's looking at the ID on the phone and it's Bob Iger finally now calling him back and it's like and he's having a debate with his dad in the pub. Well, do I pick this up because I'm kind of drunk and his dad's no, 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 no. You got to pick this up. You got to got to say hello. It's it's but he said I was really upset that I wasn't going to be in the MCO anymore And Bob Iger listened to this kid in the pub, three beers in, who's being so passionate. First of all, thanking him profusely for signing off and him being Spider-Man and really enjoyed being part of this movie and really enjoyed making these films with men. And it's just such a shame. And isn't there a way to fix this deal? Uh, I spoke with the importance of Spider-Man and the MCO and what I could offer and what I could bring to the table. And I I think that really resonated with him. So in a weird sort of way, we have what we have now with with Spider-Man, which, by the way, you may have seen the word earlier this week that evidently Sony and Tom Holland have come to an understanding, which will allow him to do a new trilogy for uh, that studio, but at the same time, be free to go across the street and work in MCU films. We have that because Tom Holland picked the phone up when he was three pints in, you know, and talked up Bob Iger, which which I love, which makes me want to dig even further into with, with great power. The problem is when you Google with great power, there's actually the first book that comes up is the Stan Lee story. Sure, yeah seriously folks if you're considering chasing down this this hardcover which by the way Amazon right now has uh, available for 10% off its, its suggested retail but again it's with great power and make sure after that it's How Spider-Man Conquered Hollywood not the Stan Lee story don't get me wrong probably a fine book but speaking of retail related things uh, there'll be a commercial in a moment but and then when Aaron and I return uh, we will talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever Black Panther Wakanda Forever big movie long movie in fact running time of two hours and 41 minutes and Black Panther Wakanda Forever's path to the screen was pretty tough the original film comes out February of 2018 and makes a buttload of money 1.3 billion dollars so of course Disney is going to make a a sequel of sorts uh, to Black Panther in fact that gets officially announced at the D23 Expo in August of 2019. And at that time, Black Panther 2 was going to be released to theaters on May 6th of this year, 2022. So, and and remember, May is the start of summer blockbuster season now. So that was the plan. However, we jump ahead just seven months and suddenly it's March of 2020, pandemic Disrupts all of Hollywood, and Wakanda Forever's original release date, May six, two thousand twenty two, gets pushed back to July eighth of that same year. So it's still it's it's a still a summer blockbuster, but now it's in the middle of summer. And then August second of two thousand twenty, we lose Chadwick Boseman uh, to colon cancer, and evidently Ryan Coogler got the news just as he was finishing the original screenplay for for Black Panther
1: 2. I just read a story very recently that he was able to deliver a finished screenplay to Chadwick before Chadwick Aww. passed. However, Chadwick was not able to physically read the screenplay. Aww. And that was the thing that really got Ryan choked up was that, you know, he, he was able to deliver finished work, however, he, that it wasn't be able able to be appreciated by Chadwick before he was mm-hmm. gone. I'm so sorry to hear
0: that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, filming was originally supposed to begin in March of 2021. Got pushed off by three months to accommodate Ryan's need to to rewrite. Uh, It's still a geopolitical thriller, and it was always supposed to bring Namor to the MCU canvas. In fact, fascinating that Universal had the movie rights for this Marvel character, acquired them in 1990. They reverted to Disney Marvel At some point in 2014, uh, Kevin Feige, in an interview, just sort of casually passed it off. And we just got uh, Namor back. But it took another five years. There were were some tangential rights issues. I want to say, when did Captain America uh, Winter Soldier come out? Because isn't there a throwaway... In you know they they're, they're talking about the oh yeah
1: the uh, it, it's the uh, it comes up on the monitor that there is yes. like some sort yes. of seismic activity in the Atlantic Ocean. That's it exactly. That was uh, twenty fourteen when it came out.
0: Well, isn't that bizarre that they supposedly required the rights in two thousand fourteen, and suddenly we get our first reference to the Submariner then. You know how Marvel Studios loves its Easter eggs, so it just—I I think yep. it—it's kind of significant, at least to me, that if that was the year they acquired it, and then they drop it sure. in Winter Soldier, that's kind of cool. Yep. Anyway, so filming starts June 29th of last year, and then on August 25th, uh, Letitia Wright is injured on set. They're doing a stunt at night in Worcester, Massachusetts. This whole production was put on hiatus on November 19th of last year. So uh, Leticia could finally step away and fully recover. I mean, they, they shot as much of the film as they could with all of the scenes around Shuri. But it was just, right. you know, the whole notion of this woman is kind of the center pole of the movie. So mm-hmm. it wasn't until mid-January of this year that they uh, were finally able to pick up again and they did a full four weeks of reshoots problem was with this additional issue, with with her injured, this was at the point in October of last year where it was announced that we had our third release date for for Black Panther. We have now pushed the film off from July 8th, 2022, to noon, November 11th. And folks, I spoke with the studio, you know, just this, this whole notion of, wow, we are doing a story about loss and mourning that we've now pushed off to a late fall release date. And it's like, what is this going to do to our box office potential? In fact, again, to bring things full circle to what we were talking about earlier in the show, a number of the financial analysts that that I've chatted with suggested flat out, it's like, look, if this film had opened in May or July of last year, or or July of this year, excuse me, that $20 million dollar Separation between what the original Black Panther made in 2018 and what Wakanda Forever made this past weekend wouldn't exist. This is the sort of movie that would have done that much better at the box office if it had been released in May or July. But but again, November was when, with all of the troubles between Chadwick's passing and Letitia's injury on set... Uh And the need to rewrite the script i mean this is this is where they landed, so
1: mm. all right, so talk to me. what did you think of the film? Well, before I actually get into it, I need a point of reference from you specifically okay. when you were in the theater, mm-hmm. was it so incredibly painfully loud to listen to at any point?
0: We actually had. The opposite experience. In fact, we we went to the AMC Tingsboro in, mm-hmm. down in Massachusetts, and we were in a situation we much like you. We saw an afternoon matinee. Myself, Nancy, we we brought a friend with us, mm-hmm. and the dialogue was so muffled at at some points. And also, to be honest, I felt like the projector. There was some sort of problem with the projection, because there were a lot of scenes in this film that are set at night, or in caves, or underwater. And it was just one of these things where I kept having to lean forward to A, either try to read lips, or peer into the murk to figure out what's going on. And I I gotta tell you that, you know, Nancy and I just this past weekend got delivery on on a brand new flat screen. And there was Mm -hmm. a part of me, it's like, we were driving home, and it's like, Oh man, I can't wait till this is available on Disney Plus, so I can fire it up on our super sharp, brand new flat screen, you a know, mm-hmm. fifty-five inch, and turn on the closed captioning. I want to wanted to like this movie more than I did, but mm-hmm, I think okay. to be honest, it was I the have fault to, of
1: the theater mostly. Yeah, that's yeah, okay. it exactly. Right. So, similar in my case then, because as I was in the theater, I wanted to beat the sound mixer with a sack of nickels. -hmm. That's, I mean, I was just angry about the sound mix because it was painfully loud to the point where I wanted to leave because I I felt that my ears would be ringing after the movie was over. Mm -hmm. And there's a a general rule, okay, so you've got your low sounds, your mid-range sounds, and your high sounds, but if you Mm do like all of it as loud as you can all at once, it just becomes noise. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can't discern, is that a wave crashing? Is that a bone breaking? Is that a person screaming? It's just noise. And there were a lot of times where the detail was just lost to noise and uh, of too much in the mix in that moment. I could point to, like, Lord of the Rings, there's a really good example of this uh, concept Mm. in uh, the Two Towers movie where an elephant comes charging towards the camera and it's the feet, the boom, 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 boom. Well, if you watch the film and listen very, very carefully, they only put in the sound effects of the front two feet of the elephant because if you put in four, it becomes too much but if you do the front two, it goes boom, 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 boom. And that charging at you sound is much more menacing than right? So there are times you have to decide, uh, I've got too much crap in my mix. I have to take something out. Hmm. And you'll it, once you're aware of that as as a stylistic choice of a sound mixer, there will be times where you'll be able to watch a, a war movie and they'll like maybe have a large explosion. and You get that high pitch whee of your of the hearing of the character go, but all the sound kind of fades out. And like you'll see explosions, but you won't hear expo- explosions. Things like that, right? That's a a way that you can have, like, so much chaos going on where if you pull out the sound, you get a different effect. Now, I'm going to expand on pulling out the sound by going to the very opening of Black Panther because as soon as we find out that we have lost our king, the Marvel logo comes up without a fanfare. Just wind. Silence and wind. And Jim, I, I mean, I could, like have a secret word to reveal to the audience and try and make you guess it and go, what, what did you feel when it was just the wind and no fanfare? Mm, okay. You know, what, like, d- didn't it feel empty? Didn't it feel lonely? Didn't it feel like you've lost something?
0: Even with the muffled sound in, in the theater that worked and, and it did what it was supposed to. You, you, uh, this is a story about laws.
1: Yeah. Not the time for a fanfare. I mean, stylistically, when you just find out that Chadwick—you know, not Chadwick himself, but the Black Panther as a character in this fictional moment—has mm-hmm. died, you do not want. But you know, you just mm-hmm. don't want that—that that fanfare. It's inappropriate, and it's mm-hmm. not the right thing. But that wind—it was chilling. It was lonely. It was sparse. Mm-hmm. You were fragile. You were not protected and en- enveloped in safe brass of heroism Mm -hmm. you know man that moment it got me in the right mental space because Mm -hmm. what ended up happening I believe for the next couple of hours Mm -hmm. were moments where we got to witness the humans of the the film the the people that are were the actors right Mm -hmm. not the characters but the actors got to mourn their friend on camera I, I would say that those moments were true moments Mm-hmm. Of, of a human mourning another person.
0: No, 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 you're not wrong. I mean, I, again, I, I feel like there were some excellent choices made in that section. I, and again, also, we lost Chadwick in such a, a public way, and he had been so closely associated with the, uh, the success of the, the first Black Panther film and, you know, again, with his introduction in Civil War. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was clearly the path forward. Uh, that You know, you, you didn't have a choice.
1: Well, no, I, I don't think it was clearly the path forward. I, I went through, after watching the film, I had to go back and kind of Google, because I know that actors have died during the making of a film. One of the very mm-hmm. first ones I thought of was uh, Brandon Lee during the making of The Crow. Right, mm-hmm. And they had existing footage, and they had a lot of money invested into it, and they said, okay, we'll hire uh, another actor to look like him, and we'll shoot around it, maybe from behind, over the shoulder kind of thing, mm-hmm. fill in the gaps of what we don't have, because it's a business. Remember, in the beginning of the show, you said the most important word is not show, it's business, and mm-hmm. this is a business. And if someone dies, well, we carry on as if we just lost a freaking screwdriver and we go, oh, is it a Flathead or a Phillips? I've got another one, right? No, it's very cold, very, very mm-hmm. cold. And uh, then I was like, well, obviously, and, and I, I knew of others, and, and I was had to Google you know, movies that were completed without their lead actor either, or that had a lead actor die in the process. And I was reminded about Chris Farley from Shrek. Uh mm-hmm. Oliver Reed, you reminded me about from Gladiator, was a mannequin. Well, I,
0: they they used, uh, I, I, you know, a, I, I want to say animatronic coupled oh, okay. with, you know, <laughs> uh, some some digital masking. But, but, yeah. was, it, was it
1: Abraham Lincoln standing up? Did it look like that for a quick second? Uh, okay. Anyway, the, yeah. the but there were other. You know, Paul Walker obviously most recently from Fast and Furious was replaced by his brother as a stand-in and some fancy CGI helped to pull off the finishing of that. Philip Seymour Hoffman died during Hunger Games. Digital replacement there in in some cases. You know, Harry Potter movies you replace Dumbledore. Even in within the MCU, we've mentioned many times that we had Terrence Howard who just disagreed with same with Ed Norton disagreed with Marvel and they say we'll, we'll go a different way okay so the world of show business and movie making is cold and not because they they don't like people but it's because they've invested hundreds of millions of dollars hmm. right and the fact that Chadwick passed not even while making the darn movie because I could understand so much more of this decision-making if he died during the making of the movie, but mm-hmm. he, died, he died before the movie was made. And then Disney is all about you know making money, and I swear to goodness gracious, they were going to replace him. No mm-hmm. other option, right? You just have to. Mm-hmm. But to have respect for the human, because Chadwick was loved not just by his co-actors, but by the general public at large, mm-hmm. the Black Panther character, meant a tremendous amount to the black community because they finally had their superhero movie that was just, you know, about their culture and, and represented them in a true, honest fashion, in a fictional way, but, you know, um, it, it came from their culture and and they really were able to embrace it. And so when Chadwick was gone, the decision to make it that the Black Panther himself died and to do pretty much the first 90% of this movie without ever seeing a Black Panther characters show up on screen was not just a bold choice, but I think it was respectful. Like if Chadwick had the ability to see what they did in his honor, Mm -hmm. in the way that they respected him in a way that nobody in Hollywood has ever respected an actor who's passed in that way to honor the, the human that brought that character to life just blows my freaking mind that Disney of all people, the money grubbers, that would be respectful to a human soul. Oh my goodness, right? Mm -hmm. That put me in a mental state that when I watched the film, I do believe that over half of this film is allowing us, the audience, as well as the actors, to mourn the loss of that human soul. And I had a respect for that. Even while I was watching a fictional incarnation happen up on the screen, I felt true love of, of a human being in these moments. Mm-hmm. That you couldn't have faked, you couldn't have scripted it and and faked it because it was a real thing that happened to to Chadwick in in this loss. So the heart that was in it to me is one hundred percent true and real, and and that's a good reason to go see it. Is if you did love the Black Panther, if you did love Chadwick, and as an actor, this is honestly almost like a church service where you get to go and mourn the loss of of him, and in a respectful way, even though it's a, a piece of fiction about the Black Panther. So I had uh, expectations that I don't want to say they were low. I just Mm -hmm. thought that they had so many obstacles in the way, so many hurdles to cross that it would be very difficult to come up on the other side of this with a successful movie. Now, with all that being said, a lot of the success, I believe, comes from the actor who who portrayed Namor because he's a sympathetic villain. Mm-hmm. he's not just here to take over the world. He's here to protect his people. They've been living in secret forever and ever. And he, d- he doesn't want people coming down, interfering with their little paradise. And, and that's the thrust of his storyline. And the arguments they make, you know, it kind of like Killmonger. He was a, a great villain who made some great points. And you as the audience are kind of on their side going, yeah, they should kind of win in this scenario, I hope somehow, but not quite. Uh, And they put you in this moral gray zone every once in a while. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, stylistically, all of that, I I think they really did a fantastic job. I'm going to let you chat about what you liked and and didn't like. And then before we end, I do want to talk just for one moment about the music of it, because that was a a different challenge altogether. But I want to hear how you actually enjoyed the film itself.
0: In a weird sort of way, it was pretty standard Marvel uh, Studios Fair. I mean, you know, if you think about the Martin Freeman, uh, Julie Lewis Dreyfus character, uh, sure. you know, the, again their interaction. What's always fun about Marvel is every dollar is up there on screen. And let's face it, if we we think back on what I was just talking about the the convoluted path to you know that that it took for Wakanda Forever to reach the screen, if we factor in what the obvious behind-the-scenes costs were, you know, factoring in the COVID protocols, coupled by the delays, you know, from after Letitia Wright's injuries, and let alone, you know, just the standard Marvel process of, okay, we've cut the movie together and, ooh, we need something there, or we need a new bit here, or that sort of thing. I'm going to be intrigued to see, when all is said and done, what either Disney or Marvel Studios is willing to put out there about what finally were the costs of this film? Because remember, you know, at, at one point when they were talking about Endgame, that was over $300 million, which when you make $2 billion, it's like, okay, that was worth it. For this one, it's one of these situations where suddenly, and forgive me for introducing yet another variable here, but suddenly we have things like the limited series, over at Disney Plus. And and Mm -hmm. the thing is, okay, so you have a Thor Ragnarok or a Thor Love and Thunder. You have a two-hour-long film. Whereas if we, we pivot and look at something like WandaVision where you had 10 hours of television, you know, and it's sure. just sort of like, how do you apply, do the same set of rules apply that what it costs to produce an hour of television versus, you know, t- a two hour long film?
1: Right. They've got to have some metric of like, whatever, uh, if, if my ticket costs me $15 to go to the theater and then mm-hmm. uh, you end up with $100 million at the end of the weekend, you can calculate how many butts in seats that mm-hmm. equals. Yep. And then you can compare that to Disney Plus in that 10 hours of streaming and go, how many eyeballs? Mm-hmm. Watch that. And then there's some sort of dollar conversion ratio that they kind of figure out in between the two that tells them, was this the good investment or not? Right? There's got to be a comparison between the two somehow that way. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, okay, so I've interrupted your your review. <laughs> Please go back to it. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I
0: enjoyed it. But as I, I mentioned, this is a film I would really like to see in the privacy of my own home mm-hmm. with a decent sound system and a bright w- screen to see I want to be fair to this film and I just mm-hmm. feel like given the way I saw it and and also the other thing frankly I was sitting in an audience full of white suburbanites on a Tuesday afternoon mm-hmm. you know whereas I would bet you watching this movie on a Saturday night With an audience that would say four decades younger, you know, uh, would have been that much more exciting. Mm -hmm. I feel like I saw the movie at a disadvantage.
1: Okay. I I also feel that like my theater probably just had too much juice in the audio system, Mm -hmm. uh, because you lost clarity in in the noise of it all. Mm -hmm. But I, I do still think that there were some points in the sound mix that were just set to max. And uh, there's, there's this thing called the loudness wars that mm-hmm. exists in audio producers. There, it's a thing of um, if, you, if something is quiet, like, mm-hmm. for example, and this gets to a primal thing of, of how a human works. But if, if a thing is quiet, it could be sneaking up on you to kill you. Like what, mm-hmm. back when we lived in the, in the jungles, in the bushes and stuff, if a creature was trying to be quiet to kill you and you heard a little twig snap, you go, what was that? Danger. However, if someone's singing at the top of their lungs a very bright, cheerful song, you're not afraid of it because they're not trying to sneak up on you. So louder mm-hmm. noise equals safe noise. Quiet noise equals... <gasps> which is why a lot of horror movies get really quiet all of a sudden. Um, but anyway, there it was just loud. like Almost all the time, it was just fascinatingly loud mm-hmm. uh, on the sound mix. But beyond that, the uh, thing I wanted to talk about about the music is this is so... Not what you're used to. And if you watch the first Black Panther movie, it goes hand in hand perfectly with the score of the first Black Panther movie. So there's really no difference in that sense. But Ludwig Gordonson who does the score for this, he's also famous for doing the score for Mandalorian as well as a 100 other sci-fi projects. He's got a mm-hmm. very unique sound. And he's going to be like the next Hans Zimmer of of conducting and composing uh some really great out there sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, people just aren't aware of him quite, quite yet on the mainstream level, but he does fascinating work in here. in in this instance, instead of getting like big heroic brass, you never once get big heroic brass in this movie. Mm-hmm. When something heroic happens, you get hoots like Hoop, hoot, hoot, mm-hmm. vocalizations, and then you get some banging drums and you're creating a new language for what audio means. And when you create a, a, a language, we've all gotten used to certain things meaning certain things. When when the violins kick in, they're, you're almost like afraid. You know, that means horror. When the brass kicks in, it's it's heroic. When this happens, it means this. And Ludwig Goranson is saying, I don't want to use any of the language you know. I would like to speak Swahili for the next 12 hours. And you're going to go along for the ride. And it works, though. There's, there's this vocalization that happens. And because I don't speak the proper language, all I can think of as saying is, Hey, Caliente! And then putting a big reverb on it and going, doesn't that make it sound like the opening to the Lion King? Ah! And it happened like three times in in the uh, Black Panther show, in the Black Panther movie, where it's, it's just like a, a male vocalization solo with a very large reverb on it. And every single time I felt like Lion King equals Africa equals Wakanda. It was really weird how the equation worked, but yeah, Ludwig is doing some really crazy stuff with his scoring, but it all works, it all fits, it's very new in, you're not used to this, this audio language, but he makes, he makes it happen where like subtly he builds it in and says, this is what drama sounds like now. And when drama comes back later, when those drums kick back in, you know what it means. And then when the heroic part comes in, he's already established that earlier. So, I mean, it all fits and it all works, but it's just refreshing to not be using the same old formula. So I just got to applaud the dude for bringing a new language to us and doing something different because boy, is it needed.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. But I, I, I think, again, it's w- also worth noting that it, it, the, the several times that they did that, the several times that they did uh, just the wind were, mm-hmm. were, yeah. were so effective. It was, it was such a smart choice and a lot of bold choices to think about. Again, this is a, a story about loss. This is a story about mourning. And there's a part of me that just wishes that this movie had come out in its original window of time, if if it had made that May 8th date or if it had made that July date this year. I just feel like when you get into November, the cold, darker months of the year, a a story about loss and mourning, it's kind of on the nose. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, this is the time of year where the leaves fall off the tree and it it gets darker soon. And it's just like, oh boy, a story about mourning and loss. Come on, let's go to the theater. Let's get some popcorn. Let's get some soda.
1: Now I do want to say that the uh, marketing team did miss the huge opportunity of having on the poster the logo mm-hmm. or, or the the phrase little catchphrase that says, mm-hmm. "You will believe that a man can fly." Dot 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 with wings on his feet. There we go. There we go.
0: All right, but want to talk about that end moment of this film where uh, Namora? I want to say that the the, the, the but we have the scene to the effect of she's upset because, you know, she didn't like the idea of her king on his knees and bowing down to the Wakandans. And and we got to see how Namor thinks, the effect of we are now a unit. We now have an alliance. And face it, the surface dwellers will be coming for Wakanda. Sort of the notion of, OK, that's an interesting piece to throw on the table. As remember, we are ending phase four with this film. Phase five begins with Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania in, right. in early February. So it's like going to be interesting to see where we go from here. And the other thing that I also find fascinating is that in the new Marvel Studios take on all this stuff, mm-hmm. our phases instead of playing out over four years are now playing out over two years because the the idea is well, we also have the limited series. Oh, that
1: ramps up and speeds up the whole yeah. process, yeah. You know,
0: and face it, you know, one of the other things this movie did brilliantly was introduce the the, the character of Riri Williams, who, you know, flat out as she's walking out the door, it's like, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago.
1: And we should also mention the, the one thing that they also did incredibly well was the mid-credits scene. They did. They did, and they, 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 yeah. I think that that gave people, you know, because the whole movie, you're like, we lost Chadwick, we lost mm-hmm. Chadwick. To let Shuri sit down and and mm-hmm. then to have a little montage to remember him was very incredibly sweet, mm-hmm. and then to get the the child at the mm-hmm. end and to know that we we still have a T'Challa.
0: Yeah, and and in fact, if you hung in there for the very end of the film, folks. This is what I love about Kevin Feige. Clearly somebody who grew up watching movies in the 70s and the 80s. Because the last credit was, the Black Panther will return. You know, sure. just like James Bond will return. Yep. So yep. But speaking of returning, it is time for Aaron and I to go, folks. So, but anyway, that is our take on Black Panther Forever. And, you know, hopefully with some of the context we provided today, on what's going on behind the scenes here at Disney. Just be aware that, you know, this is how the company is kind of looking at this film now, that it's like... As a failure. Well, no, (laughs) just as, as, you know, I mean, the the weird sort of thing is for me, you know, I I literally had folks at Disney saying, well, okay, you know, that, that they were... In middle of the conversation, they were pivoting to talking about James Cameron's avatar sequel, The Way of Water, and to the effect of, well, geez, maybe that will bring up the stock price. Maybe that will do giant business. And it's just sort of like, wow, again, you guys are just not happy.
1: Shapack but- needs to go back to Googling blood sacrifice and comparing goats versus chickens. There we go
0: there we go. So Aaron, uh, if folks are looking for you on social media want to continue the conversation, where can they find you?
1: Well because Twitter is aflame and chaos right now I'm gonna be hanging out on Alta Vista bulletin boards for audio mm-hmm. producers. you remember Alta Vista back in the was it 90s there There we go um, yeah. yeah so and beyond that you can look for Azaprod on other social media including smoke signals that's a mm-hmm. new one. Uh, You do have to be within five miles of my apartment to be able to see the smoke signals, but it's a very good, solid form of communication. I know it's been used in the past by others. So, um, yeah, just Google at Azaprod or just Azaprod. You'll either get my website or or something on Twitter. Who knows? Good luck.
0: Okay. Uh, I am still hanging in there with Twitter. So, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Likewise, uh, want to point we have I do have a couple of other podcasts uh, here at Jim Hill Media. We of course have Disney Dish that I do with Lentesta, the one I'm about to go record. We also have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor. We also have Looking at Lucas Home, which I do with Brian Gahn. And if you folks could do Aaron and I a favor here, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here today, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be great. And I guess that's going to do it for Marvelous Disney this week. So thank you for listening, and Aaron and I will be back soon.